Do you panic around this time of year when someone asks, are you ready for Christmas? Um, does your mind go to all the, the preparations you haven't made yet? It, it's odd, really, that the holiday that stirs up the warmest feelings also causes the most stress. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, one of his clever essays in which he said that there are three things that go by the name of Christmas. One is a religious festival. The second is a popular holiday, an occasion for merrymaking and hospitality. The third, he says, is the commercial racket, and he calls it a nightmare. He says, long before December 25th, everyone is worn out, physically worn out by weeks of daily struggle in overcrowded shops, mentally worn out by the effort to remember all the right recipients and to think out suitable gifts for them. Now, he doesn't even mention uh, trees, decorations, staff parties, school plays, family gatherings, uh, uh, or all the things that go on at Calvary Chapel uh, during this season. Lewis also uh, pointed out that expensive gift giving is quite modern and has been forced upon us by the shopkeepers. Well, it's true that many businesses make 50% or more of their annual revenue during Christmas time. You know, it's just quite significant, and so we are encouraged, shop, 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 and, uh, and, and make sure everyone's got the perfect gift. Now, if we feel that because we have no money this year, Christmas is ruined, that simply shows how much we've been influenced by our culture, because there's nothing that can ruin Christmas for the Christian. Mom's favorite gift was a handmade card, which was great for me because it fit my budget. Um, Mom appreciated anything that I made for her. I made for her one year um, these mahogany, uh, what were they? Maybe they were egrets or some kind of crane. Uh, that she set by her fireplace, and they were there for years on each side of the fireplace. Uh, and I, I asked one time, Mom, why don't you get rid of those? And she said, no, I love them. You made them for me. Uh, later, I thought maybe she just kept them by the fireplace and never, if ever they ran out of wood, <laughs> just tossed the egrets in. Dad surprised me one year, I think it was 1971, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, it was the one time in his life that he purchased a mad magazine. <laughs> and he brought it home, and he had a smirk on his face, and he said, Chuck, take a look at this. And he opened it up, and on the inside of the front cover, there was a cartoon and these, these boxes with a scene in each box. And in the first box, 
Santa Claus is there, big smile on his face, and he's handing, as I recall, he's handing a set of car keys to a woman, and there's this expensive sports car in the background, and she's overjoyed. In the next scene, he's giving a yacht to this man, and so on and so on. From, from box to box, Santa's giving these lavish gifts to people. And in the last box, Santa is home, taking off his costume, and underneath the disguise, it's Satan. And that shows you my dad's attitude towards the commercialization <laughs> of Christmas. In fact, I remember back in the day when the hippies would not talk about Santa Claus. Instead, they talked about Satan's claws and how they got into you during Christmas time. But let's return to our story uh, that we read, and especially verse 17 the mission of John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth echo the story of Abraham and Sarah. In fact, scholars find many, um, many Hebrewisms in this first chapter of Luke. Uh, uh, Hebrewism is an expression drawn from the Old Testament, from Old Testament writings. It uh, mimics that genre. And uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, like Abraham and Sarah, have a role in God's new creation. God is making a new people for himself. He has uh, first made Israel through Abraham and Sarah and now he's preparing to make a new people. And so here's this childless couple who are well along in years and have given up any hope of having a baby who get the announcement that they are going to have a child. Their son, John the Baptist, will later announce to those who come to be baptized by him do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. In other words, the DNA of Abraham was no longer going to be the determining factor who was the chosen person of God. There was going to be a new factor and a new DNA that would come through Jesus Christ. So, even though John's birth was a miracle, it was wonderful, the angel came to announce the role that he was going to play, the, the, the destiny of his life, and it's all summed up in this. He will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, John the Baptist would not be the main attraction. His work would be to get people ready to receive God's Son. Now, I chose this passage because of its associations with Christmas. I mean, this is where it, it, it all begins. And more specifically, for the, the season of Advent that begins today. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, to be honest with you, uh, being raised up in my dad's ministry, I had never heard of Advent. Advent is 
it, it belongs to the, the Christian calendar, uh, the year-long calendar, and it is observed by the high church. Now, the high church would include Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, Presbyterian. I don't know about Methodists. My folks never let me go to their churches. But uh, uh, now, now, the opposite of the high church is not the low church. Um, but um, the not high church refers to itself as the free church. But that doesn't mean that the high church is the imprisoned church. Um, you, you see, the high church probably likes to think of themselves as the high church, and the free church likes to think of themselves as the free church. But we're borrowing a tradition from the high church, Advent, which means arrival, but a, a special arrival, the arrival of a special event or special person, and it's the Advent of Jesus Christ. So um, that's what Christmas celebrates. And Advent is a season of preparation so that we remember that, that moment in all the right ways, that we have all the right associations and feelings that come with it. Wow, I mean... Um, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Has your soul felt its worth? Have you felt your worth? That the Son of God came to call your name and to, to die for your sins? I doubt that we see ourselves at all the way that God sees us. I, I wonder if we can find the value in ourselves that God sees. I hope that right now, deep in your heart, you can say, I have worth. I have worth in God's eyes. He hasn't forgotten me. He hasn't overlooked me. I don't know, that's, pardon me, that wasn't in my notes, but I just, that, that hymn just hit me this morning, those words, and I, and I just wonder if all of us here today can, can grasp and appreciate that. Now, when we look ahead to Christmas during Advent, we're also looking beyond that. We're looking for the return of Christ. Um, you see, we live in this in-between time, in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And it has its special challenges because we don't see him in the flesh. We don't have that opportunity. And we don't see his return just yet. But somehow, in this in-between time, we still need to meet him. We still need to encounter him and connect with the Lord Jesus. And we can connect and it takes both the past and the future in order to do that, in order to encounter God now, in order to receive his spirit now and the touch of Jesus now. Paul says that one of the ways that 
in the present, we connect with the past and the future, is communion. When we receive the Lord's Supper, he says, for, who, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, that's in the past, until he returns, that's in the future. And when does this happen? Whenever you take the bread and the cup, you're remembering the past and looking forward to the future and drawing from them the life of both events in this present moment. Listen to how Paul has us looking backward and forward. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is the past perspective. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the future perspective. And that's what we're going to be celebrating for the next uh, four or five weeks in this Advent season. The wonderful past when in Bethlehem there was born uh, the answer to all the hopes and fears. And the wonderful future when everything is joined together as it belongs and made new. I want to have right now just a glimpse into the life of Jesus. This is um, taken from Mark's gospel when he is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, he's, always, me, he's already gotten himself in trouble, uh, and people are questioning him and, and why his disciples aren't like the disciples of the Pharisees. And uh, while the, the, uh, the Pharisees' disciples fast, he just goes on, his disciples just go on eating and drinking, which I think is a, um, an interesting way to describe them. Uh, they belonged, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> excuse me, they belonged to Calvary, <coughs> got it. They belonged to Calvary Chapel. Anyway, um, there was a man there that day in the synagogue, and one of his hands was utterly useless. Um, and people noticed him. Without him trying to draw attention to himself, his disability simply stood out. He was a perfect candidate for the compassion and the healing of Jesus. And then Jesus was present there also, and his presence did not go unnoticed either. In fact, he was being watched. He was being observed closely and scrutinized. Um, they, they wanted to see if he was going to upset the tradition in the synagogue as he had elsewhere. Um, and, and this in Mark's gospel is sort of a test to see if the synagogue and its influence uh, in the religious life and socializing of Israel, if the synagogue could accommodate the new wine or if its wineskin would burst. And Jesus looked around at the community there. He, he stood up and he said, tell me, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath 
or to do harm. And no one said a word. Why did they clam up? It's an easy enough question to answer, I would think. But it's like they did not want to yield anything to Jesus. They did not want to go in the direction he was obviously leading them. And it's no wonder that he looked around at them, grieved for the hardness of their heart. This is what God had contended with regarding Israel through the centuries. Their hearts were hardened not only to Jesus, but also to this unfortunate man who in that moment could receive a miracle. But here Jesus is, and, and it's like the child who's, who walks into the kitchen and tells its mom, none of the other kids want to play with me. They don't want to go along with me. They don't want to play my games. Jesus said in another place, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, yet you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. You don't want to go along with us. You don't want to play with us. But Advent is, is our opportunity to say, we want to engage with you, Jesus. We, we want to connect with you. Now, we look forward to the return of Jesus, and I just want to say this. If we study biblical prophecy and look for its fulfillment in current events, for what are we looking? I ask this because... This has been going on for a long time in my life, and I know some people are looking for the Antichrist. But the Antichrist is not our blessed hope. Some people are looking for wars and rumors of wars, but those are not our hope. Some are calculating when the rapture will occur, but that's not our blessed hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. That's what we're looking forward to, is the, is the person of Jesus finally coming for us at last. Lord, what took you so long? That's what Martha asked him, right? Lord, what took you so long? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, so many terrible things that are going on all the time would not be happening if only he'd come back now. So he is our blessed hope. We long to see him, to be with him. And so we prepare ourselves for that by growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I recently read Chuck Gerard's um, autobiography, Rock and Roll Preacher. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think it's a very authentic voice of, you know, from within the Jesus movement. If you don't know Chuck Gerard, uh, he led the band Love Song for years. And he's a very gifted Christian musician and uh, an outspoken witness for Jesus. But it took me back to those days when uh, hippies were filling dad's church. Uh, 
You know, uh, when the old tent was over on that side of the property, that circus tent, in uh, around 1971, uh, one night after the service, when the thousands of people have, had exited the tent, uh, my dad and I were walking to his car, and, and there were these moments that I had with my dad, just captured in time. And uh, there was a full moon over the tent. It was just beautiful. Dad turned around, he looked at it, and he had a big, big sigh, and he said, Chuck, did you ever in your wildest imagination think that you would see anything like this? God using our lives in this way. And he shook his head and he said, it's only the grace of God. It's always the grace of God to be used by him. We remember that time of revival as the Jesus movement. It was not the end times movement, though that was featured. It was not the Christian hippie movement, though that was happening. It wasn't even the verse-by-verse Bible study movement. And I I would not um, diss that, but that's not what it was. Jesus was at the center of everything the center of everyone's life, the center of every meeting. And I I just love the way that today's service has been introduced by both Josh and Brian, that that it's all about Jesus, and it's all about us being here today with Jesus and and moving towards Christmas, looking forward to a special encounter with each other in the presence of our Lord. Um, Every conversation back then, every song written, every sermon was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God gave my dad, and and forgive me for talking so much about him, but I can't help but be here and just think of of him. Uh, But God gave my dad many gifts for the work that he called him to do. Uh, Of course, there was his beautiful baritone voice uh, that was filled with warmth that could console and reassure, that could challenge and inspire. And for some people that I know, listening to him late at night on the radio helped put them to sleep. Uh, And it was just the melody of his voice. He knew how to sing when he spoke. Now, personally, I don't think that his most outstanding gift was Bible teaching. I mean, he definitely is recognized for that. But I think his most outstanding gift was he had a way of bringing Jesus Christ near to us. And when you listen to him tell a story of Jesus, well, we felt like we were the disciples walking with him along the seashore. We felt like we could hear Jesus' voice. We could feel his healing touch. I know sometimes when I sat where you're sitting and dad would would go into a story of Jesus, 
Well, I would lose track of what he was saying because he painted a picture that I wanted to just imagine for a while. And I would, and I would experience that story for myself. And Jesus was near. He made Jesus so real, so now, so present. Paul believed that by hearing the story of Jesus, people could come to know him and receive life from him. In fact, he reminded the Galatians, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And he's asking them, how could you go anywhere else? How could you be fooled into thinking there's another Jesus you need to follow, another gospel? There's no such thing. He was, he, he was there. He was presented to you there. And you saw him, and you, you knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that was a hallmark of my dad's ministry. And it's important, because if you can see Jesus, you can connect with him. And then on your worst day, you can find him near. If you can see Jesus, then you can find him in your weariness and in your suffering. You can receive his help in trials and temptations. You can let go of anxiety and overcome despair if you can see Jesus. A few years ago, uh, when I had uh, more time to be at the beach, I grabbed my bodyboard and I went down to the strands, which was not far from our house, and I got in the water. Now, it wasn't a good day for catching waves. There just weren't any good waves that day, but that's all right. I liked to just float on the ocean surface and look at the horizon, and I was doing that. And as, as I was doing it, I, I asked the Lord, God, what am I missing? And he said, everything. And I realized there's so much more here than, than what I've been noticing. I've been all caught up in my thoughts. I'm in this beautiful place, this, this point in creation where I'm surrounded by God's handiwork. I'm floating in it. I'm enjoying it. And I'm missing everything that's actually here. Everything that the eye can't see and the ear can't hear. And yet, sometimes what the eye does see or the ear does hear can give us that second sight, that second hearing, that deeper penetration into the larger reality than the physical things of this universe. We step from four-dimensional space-time into another dimension that, that Paul talks about so eloquently in 1 Corinthians, the first two or three chapters. We can miss so much if we're not looking. I cannot tell you the best way for you to prepare for Christmas, to to journey through Advent this year. For me, I've been learning to call a time out. Um, 
My dad was a great football fan. Uh, he loved watching college football on Saturday afternoons. He watched all the uh, NFL games that, that he could catch. Uh, he played football in high school. He was a star athlete, so uh, he enjoyed football. Me, not so much. Uh, but my wife and her sister, uh, a widow who is now living with us, well, uh, they're football fans, so if I'm going to watch TV, I have to watch that. <laughs> and um, I've noticed that when the game gets iffy, that the players get more in intense. They're a little bit more rough with each other, a, a little more aggressive. And sometimes at, at a critical moment when the two teams are about to collide, someone calls a timeout. And they'll take deep breaths, they'll drink some water, they'll get some instruction, and they'll, they'll refocus on what they really want to accomplish in the next play of the game. And that's what I've, I'm learning to do, is to, to call a timeout when I notice I'm upset or I'm anxious or my body's tensed up. And it can happen in traffic. It can happen uh, in line, on a long line at the grocery store. And I'm counting how many items the person in front of me has because they're only supposed to have 15 if they're in this line. And it looks to me like they have 20 or 30. Um, have you done that? Yeah, of course. Uh, Excuse me, I'm the grocery store police, and you've got too many items to be in this line. Well, that didn't work. But when, when I realize that I'm tensed up, and that in itself is important, because a lot of times these feelings are so automatic that we're not even aware that it is a feeling and that we can choose to not have that feeling. When you become aware of it, you, step, you take a step back and you find yourself in a different space, a space where choices can be made. So I, I tell myself, Chuck, you're uptight. Call a timeout. And so that enables me to take a step back and I'll draw in very slowly a deep breath and slowly exhale. And I'll do this two times, or three times, or four times, or more, until I can feel my nervous system calming down in slow, deep breaths, calm the nervous system. It's, uh, it's called the autonomic nervous system, and you can be in the sympathetic mode, or the parasympathetic, and the sympathetic, you've heard, is fight or flight, or freeze, or faint. Um, the uh, parasympathetic is a restful state. And you can move your nervous system with just a few slow, deep breaths into that more restful state. And now your mind is not caught up in whatever is frustrating you. Now your mind is free to make a choice. I think I want to, to be with Jesus right now. And taking these deep breaths, it's like the original breath 
that God breathed into Adam's nostrils when he became a living soul. And you know, the breath of, of every living person is in the hands of the Lord. My, my dad would emphasize even the uh, inebriated, smelly breath of uh, King Belshazzar when uh, Daniel interpreted for him the writing on the wall. His breath was held in God's hands. In fact, in him we live and move and, and have our being. We breathe in God and to become mindful of that, well, then you are here right now, Lord, aren't you? And though we can't see him, we can't touch him, with that spiritual sense, we can connect with him and enjoy him. Breathing is one thing. Being aware of our breath is another thing. And it's a way to step back from our situation and our reaction and to look and to say, Okay, what have I been missing? If I notice, then Jesus is right there. Always, always in that moment of awareness, he's right there. We just have to find our aware self, our spirit, our soul that has finally found its worth. Needs also to find awareness of itself and of God's love for it and God's presence with it. Every light that is strong, every decoration, every Christmas song can be to us this year a call for a timeout, a reminder. What is this all about? It's like Brian hearing a little town of Bethlehem in just an ordinary store, a call for time out and a realization how deep, how wonderful, how true the gospel, and it's proclaimed everywhere in all kinds of ways. And in those moments when we call a time out, we can prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus, remembering it again. And for Jesus himself, we can prepare ourselves for Christmas by meeting with Jesus every day. And we can hear the angels say, as the crowd said to blind Bartimaeus, take heart, he is calling for you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for accepting a human body, which like ours could be broken. I even wanna thank you this morning for the grief that you experienced, as deep as the human heart could experience the anguish of sorrow so that you too fell on your knees and prayed for deliverance, that the cup would pass from you. Because Lord, if you had not 
had that experience, we would wonder if you really understand when our hearts are broken. And Lord, we are a broken people. It's not the healthy who need the physician. It's, it's the people like us who know what they are and know their need. And thank you for coming to us and being the answer of that need. We will love you and we will enjoy you forever and ever.